Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. What a glorious day. Two such beautiful ceremonies and each one of you sitting together and deeply appreciating what a gift this is. Edo Roshi passed away last year on February 19th in Japan. I've known him since 1967 and was such long and profound relationship to have this with one's teacher, no matter what the difficulties, the challenges. And maybe in fact, because of the difficulties and the challenges to have been given the opportunity to delve into this matter together. I truly feel such a dharma debt. So, yes, we know that he dropped his physical body a year ago. But as some of you can feel, some of you who knew him can feel, his spiritual body is very much here. One of the Japanese Oshos who really wanted very much to come to Eideroshi's funeral last April couldn't make it because he was ill with pancreatic cancer. <coughs> Ryo Fukuji Goto Dayan Osho. And he did the calligraphies that were used in the ceremony, having sent them with his fellow Roshis and Oshos who were able to come. So I just got word that on February 13th he passed away. He had been here many times in the 90s with Tani, Kogetsu Tani Roshi. 
So there they are. February 15th is the actual date of Parinirvana Day. Yo Fukuji Goto Dayan, 13th. Muishitsu Eido Roshi, 19th. Forever framing Parinirvana. So we never know. We go merrily trundling along, and then just recently I was not able to do intercession at Hoenji because of some bad case of bronchitis. And Sangha did a wonderful session. Right, Bjorn? My best teaching is to get out of the way. Jumpo Roshi has had to cancel his leading of the session in the Netherlands. His Parkinson's is so bad. We talked the day before session began this past couple of days ago. And now he said, it's gotten the better of me. But they can do it. They don't want to hear that, but they can do it. And someone else who's been dealing with some physical situation that's been quite difficult said to me, it's really humbling, you know? Those of us of a certain age starting to crumble away already have had a good sense of that humility this unreliable, we call unreliable narrator of our lives, unreliable narrator of our bodies. Will you be here tomorrow? I don't know. Okay. To really take this to heart makes everything so delicious. So, I'm speaking of age, but please don't think I'm speaking of age. As you know, I think some of you, my brother was killed when he was 20. My father was killed when he was 25. So we don't know. When Shakyamuni Buddha was on his deathbed, <clears throat> his disciples were gathering around and mourning his coming departure. What shall we do without you? What did he say? Ah, ta-dee.
her the light. Dharma Deepa, you are this light of the Dharma. Atasarana, you are the refuge. Cultivate this original mind that is no different from the mind of your teacher. What did Daito Kokushi just say to us? Devoted to digging into this matter, you will never be apart from me. Isn't that wonderful news? We can't count on anything in this relative vista, but we can come to trust fully in this. How many times have we sat together? Oh, maybe some of you think, well, I've only been here for a month or two, so I don't know, I didn't count it up, but no. We have been together beyond calculation and will be. Wonderful. You have everything you need. Maybe all that's lacking is just a little bit of faith, huh? But that too comes. The more we sit, the more something within us says, Yes. I have what I need. So the feeling of all these Dharma gifts that we've received, whether we realize it or not, how to requite the beneficence you have received. Daito Kokushi says, you are a true student of Dharma. You are not caught up in what you think will show your dedication. Some fancy buildings, pagodas, silver and gold sutras, now devoted to digging into this matter. 
That's it. You are a true student of Dharma. This is how we requite the beneficence we have received. You may not realize it, but your karma is extraordinarily fortunate. Sometimes we kind of focus on the things that we would rather get rid of or the things that we feel are coming between us and this whatever we think spiritual practice should be, right? But to be here, you must have done something right. (laughs) To be here together. Very fortunate. This amazing place that Edo Roshi established for digging into this matter. It has nothing to do with any of the moralistic, relativistic concerns we can become waylaid by. Some of you may have noticed after, I guess it was after breakfast, before the Lotus Sutra chanting, there were snowflakes in the sun dancing upward. Diamonds. Stars. Going to the sky. These snowflakes. This is not a mere happenstance. Believe this. This is the encouragement from our Dharma teachers throughout space and time happening right here, right at this moment. So I'm sure that at one time or another, you've asked, what is my life for? Has anyone here in this room ever really put it that way? Yeah. Yeah, what is my life all about? What am I here for? So to live up to what we have received from 
Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, from ancestral teachers. To live up to it means to live it with our entire being. Not even a hair's breadth of difference. We have to realize this, actualize this. And so we heard this morning from the Parinirvana Sutra. It's, of course, beautiful to see the blossoms out of season. Can you imagine looking out and all of a sudden the flowers that are on the altar are everywhere on the trees and on their bare branches, covered with blossoms. And the perfect one's body is being covered with sandalwood powder and more flowers. And heavenly music we heard. And heavenly songs we sang. We don't call them songs, we call them chants, but they're really these heavenly songs. Don't you feel it? So beautiful. So, out of veneration for the Buddha. But, he said, this is not how a perfect one is honored, respected, revered, venerated, or reverenced. Rather, it is the bhikkhu or bhikkhuni. Who is a bhikkhu here? Hmm? It's Pali for monk. You can raise your hand. <laughs> Who is a bhikkhuni here? I seem to be the only one at this moment. The man or woman lay follower. Who is man lay follower. You too. Raise your hand. This is not some kind of passive thing. This is, we are giving our lives to this. I am, yes. Yes, you are too. And woman lay follower. Yes, yes. who lives according to the Dharma, who enters upon the proper way, who walks in the law that honors, respects, reveres, and venerates a perfect one with the highest praise of all. The next words are very important. He says to his Long-time disciple, Ananda, train thus. That's what we're doing. We are training thus. 
with every ounce of our being, living here at Daibosatsu, practicing in New York, practicing in Syracuse, wherever we go, we are training thus. Live in the Dharma, enter upon the path, and walk on this way. We call it training because we find that the instruction is very difficult, is it not? Who lives according to the Dharma? Sometimes you may feel that you have not been as true as you feel you should have been. Hmm? That something has gotten in the way. What gets in the way? Alan Watts titled his autobiography, In My Own Way. And we do. We get in our way when we think we have a choice about that way. I'm going to do it my way. But when we truly train thus, we discover that the way is wherever our footsteps are taking us. So this is training. Live in the Dharma. Enter upon the path. All kinds of self-absorbed things come up and intrude and make us think that there's a better way. There's an easier way. There's a way that can make us feel temporarily Satisfied. That temporarily satisfied usually doesn't last very long. And it leads to, as everyone knows, all manner of distraction and addiction. So to really see that, to enter upon the path with the seriousness of purpose that we call what? Vow. To have a vow. Absolutely essential. Otherwise, it's all about me. I don't like this. I want to find something else. Entertain me. So enter upon the path and walk on this way. 
There are no detours. Just walk on this way. And that's what it means for those of you who have committed to winter kese. I'm really glad that you're here. This is requiting the beneficence of the world-honored one and of all the Zen masters. And today, Edo Hoshi. To commit to winter kese, digging in, surrendering, What are we surrendering? The concocted selves, the selves we have put so much effort into protecting at the expense of realizing true self. Surrendering all those variations on the theme of I, me, mine. And seeing, seeing ever more deeply. And not running from what we see that may be as Dear Al Gore, who should have been president, put it, an inconvenient truth. Imagine if we hadn't run back then. Things would be so different. But now we have a lot more work to do. So not running from what we don't like. Inside, much more significant than external things that we don't like. Things we see inside. Not running, but not believing in them either. This is the self that you brought up, this construct. We, th- we tend to believe that's the reality. And along with vow, I think the word willingness is very important to go along with surrender, to be willing to encounter and wrestle with and be overcome by and Stand up again, you know. We're all in the ring, in a way, together. You understand by the ring, I mean boxing. (laughs) (laughs) So to see this preferential mind as it arises, 
very important. And of course, when you live in a small group, things arise, right? And there may be some quality of belief in what has has arisen. And then there may be some kind of reactivity to that arising. It doesn't have to be in a small group living in a monastery. It can happen in New York City, yeah? Can happen in Syracuse? Most likely. So seeing our trying to get away from what we don't like and trying to stick with what we do, seeing the stickiness, we chant the Heart Sutra, not only in morning service, not only other times where we have ceremonies, but I really recommend everybody, every day, chant Heart Sutra, especially that part that says, no hindrance in the mind. No hindrance, therefore, no fear. How do we deal with fear? Most of the time, we deal with it by trying to avoid what it's causing us fear, if we can find it. Sometimes it's just all pervasive fear. But No hindrance in the mind. How do we experience no hindrance in the mind? To be present. To be just. No is a very good way of no hindrance. No stickiness. In the Diamond Sutra, you know the famous line, develop a mind that alights upon nothing whatsoever. It was hearing this that the person who went on to become the sixth ancestor was enlightened. Develop a mind that alights upon nothing whatsoever. And all you really do, if you really examine your zazen, is a light, a light, right? A light, a light. Not a light, a tadipa, but a light. And then once you alight, what happens? You get stuck, right? Stuck on that. Even that present thought, present thought, can become very interesting and lead to all manner of secondary, tertiary, and on and on. Present thought can be very, hmm, shall we say, absorbing. Of course, it's no longer present. The minute we alight there, no longer present. becomes so urgent. It needs to be followed through to the next, right? And before we know it, we have created quite a novel on the cushion. It's amazing. And what is so absorbing 
what is absorbed in this stickiness? As Kimpu said, this self, this separated identity, right? And this separated identity is always seeking something to hold on to. It certainly isn't seeking nothing. So when you're given the practice of mu, you do mu and then a lot of other things, right? You notice things. You notice your body. You notice all the tasks you have to take up. You notice what you think about the last email you read. I don't know. Anybody else have some ideas about what you notice after that one move? Or you never, you never really deviate from move. <laughs> oh, anybody? This is, you know. Re, yeah, rehearsing and reviewing, right? Past and future. Mm-hmm. You notice that you feel separate. This, this is a real, very, very common feeling, you know, that, of course, <clears throat> it can become so overwhelming. We may use the word alienation. Just feel like you're not even a part of this, this world. Things happen. You've heard that, right? Shit happens. Obstacles arise. The thing, the conversation you're reviewing over and over again, whatever it is. And they all seem so real. They all seem to have some kind of material substance. And maybe someone has irritated you. Or maybe you don't know what to do about somebody else's difficulty. Or maybe you feel alone. Maybe you feel abandoned. Or get swamped by all that old stuff. Or maybe your pain is terrible. What can you do about it, about any of it? Emotional pain, physical pain, psychological pain. What can you do? Nothing. <laughs> exactly. Katagiri Roshi, some of you know this quote, Katagiri Roshi said, you have pain in your back. You have pain in your knees. I'm so sorry. But soon you will die. <laughs> it's a very helpful perspective. When we hear ourselves complaining, and of course we know people who are dying, but we tend to push that out of our frame of reference when it's my pain, it's my fear, or whatever, right? What can you do? Nothing. And another way of putting it is, mu, 
Maybe I should return to my practice. What a concept. That's the problem. Get it? When Mu is a concept, it has no power whatsoever. So we bring our energy to it. It then receives and pervades not only our being, all this. What is Mu? Very important to ask. Of course, you can just sit and say, okay, I had another thought. It took me elsewhere. I returned to my breath. Oh, look at that. Oh, yeah, that's a very interesting thought. Oh, returning, returning, returning. But what is Mu? The brilliance of Mu, just to give it an attribute which it doesn't have, is that nothing can be said about it. It's just Mu. Just Mu into whatever you are whatever you have decided is going to be alarming for your life. This is, again, the self-fixation. I'm feeling something really dangerous. Well, yeah, you're feeling your life. Your life is in danger. Time is it? Mm. So we just returning again and again. It is a practice, right? So don't become discouraged. Continue this return. This is the most beautiful thing. If you become an Enso. The Zen circle, okay? The brush meets the paper. And the energy is carried, the ink is carried by the brush into this alive force field and return. Does it touch again? Sometimes. Is there a slight gap? Sometimes. It has its own trajectory. Just as though, really, it's describing each one of us. This is Mu. <sighs> again and again. So we don't try to run from anything or toward anything. Realizing that whatever that thing is, it's a hindrance. We don't need to continue the old stories. <sighs> to them all. 
that doesn't mean we try to ignore them. We acknowledge, we see, we can feel tenderness welling up for the pain that brought this circumstance about. And then what? On the out-breath. So what's new? And then Hyakujo Ekai Zenji, some of you know from various koans, Hyakujo and the fox, Hyakujo and the wild goose, many of them. He said, he gave us some very helpful advice. Are you listening? Ready? 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 Okay. Should your mind wander away, do not follow it. Whereupon, your wandering mind will stop wandering of its own accord. This is such a gift, because typically we set up all kinds of judgments about the wandering mind. And we scold ourselves, and we blame ourselves. I only did one move that entire zazen period. I guess I can no longer really do move practice. I need another practice to keep my wandering mind from wandering away. Imagine, you notice that your mind has has wandered away. Usually we can notice this, right? If we're in Zendo, we're sitting. We don't notice it so much other times and we wonder, oh, how did that happen? Where did that come from? But at least in our practice, we can notice the mind wandering. Do not follow it. Here we get back to what I was saying about one thought inviting another thought and seeming so urgent, right? You don't have to. Who here feels enslaved by the mind? Isn't it wonderfully refreshing to know that you don't have to? You come here so that you can really appreciate the gift of nothing. Nothing to do. Just be. You don't have to follow that thought. You don't have to engage in animosity toward that thought. This part is hard, right? Okay, so please remember, you enslave yourself by setting up some blaming and shaming scenario. No need. Getting back to Hakujo. Should your mind wander away, do not follow it. Whereupon your wandering mind will stop wandering of its own accord. The mind that alights upon nothing whatsoever. 
And then he adds, should your mind desire to linger somewhere? Oh, I think I'll alight on this thought. We do this a lot. We're so lured by our familiar suffering, right? We know it. It's like, okay, it's family. I can do this. And so there we are, believing our thoughts, the circling around of pain, negativity, old fears, old habits. But wait a minute. He says, should your mind desire to linger somewhere? So he's really on to us, right? Because he did this too. This desire to linger somewhere. Oh, I don't want to have a mind that alights upon nothing whatsoever. That would be boring. I think I'll linger. Of course, we don't put it that way, but, you know, we have to see that that's what's happening. He says, do not follow it. Should your mind desire to linger somewhere? It's already going off over there. You see it going off. Who's the we? We see. Okay. We see our mind is going off. Do not follow it. Return. Do not dwell there. Lights upon nothing. Whereupon your mind's questing for a dwelling place will cease of its own accord. Once you've experienced this, trust builds. Okay? Trust builds. Every time you return, there's a joy in that returning. In that feeling, I am not what shall I say, necessarily enslaved because my mind doesn't have to dwell there. What happens when you are just returning to move again and again. Something drops away. That construct of a separate self drops away. And then everything is so intimate. That loneliness is gone. That separateness is gone. Kyozan Ejaku put it this way, I came to realize clearly that mind is none other than the mountains, the rivers, and this good earth, the sun, the moon, and the stars. So I wanted to end by uh, reading something from Points of Departure since 
We are commemorating Ada Roshi today. This is called Open House. Maybe some of you remember reading it. But it speaks about building this temple where we all sit. We come here, we live here, we visit here, we do session here, we have ceremonies here. And in a way, we take for granted, just as we do the human beings who are only here for a short time, really. We take for granted that this building has always been here for us and always will be. So he says, during the days when Daibasatsu Zendo was being built and its budget was all arranged, you may remember that we had all the upset of the oil embargo and inflation. It was really terrifying. We had this set budget. We couldn't finish the building. It was half, halfway. So he says, I was becoming very involved in the problems of building, and I couldn't seem to escape the madness of all those problems. I couldn't seem to do anything about them. I couldn't control anything that was happening in the world. I felt powerless, helpless, limited. And I'm sure that each one of us has been in some circumstance like that. So, I thought it would be best for me to seclude myself for a week. I did open house. I opened my heart. I opened my being. I invited the universal energy, sun energy, moon energy, Stars energy, lake energy, animal energy, human energy, tree energy, rock energy to come into me as I chanted. I chanted the bright light Dharani. I chanted this many, 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 many times. When you're confronted by some kind of problem and are feeling hopelessness or limitation, you can do this. Hold open house. And... You can radiate your own being. You don't have to speak. Your being speaks. That silent speech is more eloquent than any speech. What I feel now in this kind of relative vista is that I exist. I feel pain. I feel joy. I feel sorrow. I can talk listen, think, taste, and I can imagine. But what happens in a true realization is that all these are gone, gone, gone. 
And this is where our imagination cannot take us. We can imagine some things gone, but we cannot imagine the earth is gone, the moon is gone, the universe is gone. And yet, something is able to recognize that all is gone. This pure consciousness, it doesn't belong to me. It belongs to everyone. And in that moment, all of a sudden, revitalization takes place. Whether it is strong or still weak, very clear or still not too clear, we can see that all the fears we had are completely unnecessary. The Diamond Sutra says, all composite things are like a dream, like a fantasy, like a bubble, like a dewdrop, a flash of lightning. Things look as though they exist, but they are ungraspable, ungrabbable. Intellectually, we cannot see all things this way. Experientially, we have no choice but to do this. We can appreciate moment after moment, truly appreciate the breath, air, water, our temporary existence, temporary friendship, temporary project, temporary everything. That's what, after all, our practice is for until and unless we reach this vista, this viewing point, real peace of mind will never come. We will always be discontented. Now here is a play on words. Discontented. Content, as in contentment, And content, as in what is inside a container. Discontented, having no contents. Referring again and again to open house, consider your own being. Consider this your own house. This is a container. Flesh, blood, Orange, apple, couscous, brain, feeling, thinking, many, many contents, yet we say we are discontented. We have a container and more than enough contents, including Buddha nature, and still we say we are discontented. Some people say, Well, well, this content is not what I want. 
Can you think of some content of that sort that you don't want? Yeah. If the content is replaced, I will be contented. And this is a very common feeling everyone has. But never, he says, even with change after change after change, you will never be contented. Contentment is right now as you are. So, on this beautiful Parinirvana day, appreciating everything as it is in the process of disappearing. Deeply appreciating our lives and what we do here together. And despite how annoying each one of you finds the other from time to time, to really do open house, to really live with an open heart, realizing how brief our time in these bodies is and how kalpa after kalpa we will continue on this path together. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org donate. Thank you for listening.